David Broadbent, I'd done a lot of work experience with at school and actually coached his daughter in rowing, put me in touch with Gary Fenton. Now, Gary Fenton is a absolute Australian broadcasting legend. And he was at Channel 7 and just moved to a company called the Sydney Olympic Broadcasting Organization. And he was looking for people to fill roles. And Gary interviewed me and then offered me the, like, the chance of a lifetime to go to Sydney and work on the Sydney Olympics. And I was one of the, I think, first 10 employees of the Sydney Olympic Broadcasting Organization. So I got to see that whole movement from you know, from the ground up. And it was, it was a very, very unique and special sort of experience for me. G'day guys, coming up on the show today is Melissa Lawton. Melissa is the Chief Content Officer at Sale GP, which has just launched in Sydney. Have a listen to a few of these past workplaces Melissa's worked at. So you've got Sale GP, Meta, Red Bull, Commonwealth Games, Beijing and Sydney Olympic Games, just to name a few. There's plenty to shoot in for, including how she got her foot in the door at Sydney 2000, taking her career around the world and an insight into the broadcast and content side of sport. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grid Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker and joining me is the great technical man, Ruben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in the sports industry and then tease out their career decisions, work habits, skills and all the things they do that make them great. So you can learn how to get your first job or your next job in sport and progress your career. Rubes, how are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing well. Thank you. Technical today. Uh, I don't mind that. My, my, uh, something that I got tested on technically most recently was um, I went back and played grassroots cricket. Which, uh, I th- yeah. which I thought I had escaped. <laughs> I thought we were done with this as well. I thought I was out of it. But no, I got called back into the uh, the Wycliffe twos mm. and uh, was called upon to captain the side. I haven't played it. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> I haven't played a game of cricket for the entire season. There's two games left and they asked oh. me to captain the twos. So... I jumped at the opportunity. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> Lost the toss, uh, got sent into bat. Uh, team put on a, a respectable six for 219, chipped in with 36. Technique oh. was uh, there or thereabouts. Um, had a bit of experience or had a bit of um, time to work on my cricketing mm. abilities in a couple of my recent travels. So when I went to India recently, <laughs> I walked some turning pitches. Yeah, I, I walked past a, a, a cricket team training in India. And they said, hey, do you want to come in and, and have a hit? So I ended up batting on batting in the pitches in, in, in India. And then prior to that, like we were in Perth late, late last year. Yeah. So we caught up with good friend of the show, Tom Scolle, who runs Cricket Mentoring. Great friend of the show. He had a net session with us. I still remember a few of his bits of advice. Um, and then even when uh, I was working on the T20 Cricket World Cup with the UAE cricket team, um, had a net session with them. Mm. And actually that led to a second net session because when I went to Dubai just before the Qatar World Cup, 
I caught up with the UAE cricket team and went to training with them. So I had another session with them. So, so what you're telling me is you've actually been training up until this moment. You, you've put in the work. You've had net sessions leading up to this and you've gone in and hit 37. I've, I've been practicing with the best of the best. My mate CP Rizwan has just won the ILT 20 league over in Dubai. So um, everything has been pointing towards the Wycliffe twos. <laughs> I love this because I love when we don't uh, – you know, we haven't debriefed that. That's the first time I've heard about that. Um, but I must say I was a little bit suspicious when I saw on Instagram on the weekend there's a person in full Cricket Australia whites. <laughs> and that sort of screams to me like, hmm, <laughs> Ruben must be playing cricket. <laughs> yeah, my, so, my mate Sean, he's, he's somehow got a pair of yeah. Australian whites from back there's, when we were there. There's a few guys down there in, in the H grade. Yeah. Um, I think I might have bought a couple down once upon a time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they love it. Half the club's got to some yeah. somehow. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. It's good to see you're back playing cricket. I'm sure you'll be there every week from now on, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. All right, I'll come down eventually. How many games left? One. There's still time. This weekend might be me. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we could talk cricket all day, so let's get cracking. Guys, follow us on LinkedIn, and if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in sport, Become a member of the Sports Great community. Rose, what has been happening in the community at the moment? Oh, mate, it's been going off. So a couple of wins from our community recently. I love this one. This is from – this just shows the globalness of the, the Sports Grad community. Uh, so Zoe, Zoe Van Mulken, who is uh, over in the Netherlands, she has just started working on the talent development program for the Dutch Motorsport Association. How? Like – that's Pro- epic. Producing future F1 drivers. That makes me think of a Max. Exactly. She's Max. creating the pathway for future Maxes. Yeah. That's In huge. fact, when she joined one of our um, Q&As, she talked about her relation to Max Verstappen. Mm. I'm pretty sure they went to the same school. Yeah. Um, knows the family and all that. So well done to you, Zoe, on that incredible project that you've got your hands on. Uh, Bradley Collaro just landed a job as a competition coordinator over at uh, AFLNT. He's off to Alice Springs. Good on you, Brad. And Jordan Wilson has just got a job as an athlete development coordinator at Hockey Queensland. So well done to you, Jordan, too. Uh, lots of jobs posted on our brand new job board, just a couple of weeks old now. So Geelong Football Club have got a good one in there. Membership and marketing coordinator. Premier Data got another good one. Match statistics capturer. Uh, that one's based in a few states. Uh, the Brisbane Broncos marketing coordinator again as well. So lots to check out on our job board. Uh, there's a link in our show notes if you want to check out the latest jobs there. And then some upcoming events. Mm. Now, we've recently just launched our brand new segment uh, at the end of this show, but also the extended edition happens every Wednesday night. So if you liked our previous bite-sized episodes where you could tune in on a Thursday and get some short, sharp bits of advice to help you with your career, well, they're gone, I'm sorry to say, mm. but they live on in a much more detailed format every Wednesday night on Zoom where you can join Ask Sports Grad. So a couple of things where um, a couple of things to look forward to. Now, on these sessions, mm. it's either you or I answering the questions on a specific topic or we get our guest experts in. So Melissa, who you're just about to hear from, if you want to chat with Melissa, who's got an incredible wealth of knowledge, if you want to ask her questions and add it to your network, then join our session with her coming up on the 1st of March. We've also got another one that's just happened on uh, resumes and cover letters. So you can also go yep. back and watch that too. There's more coming up on the topics of LinkedIn. 
And uh, next week, next week, I'm going to give away our guest slightly. Go here. on, give the exclusive. They come from the New York Red Bulls, and they work as a senior manager in commercial partnerships over in New York. So if you want to chat all things commercial partnerships, there's a Q&A coming up with that very special guest in the future too. So lots to look forward to in the community. But um, if you want to stay up to date with absolutely everything that's happening, whether it's jobs, events, you name it, podcast episodes, then um, jump on the newsletter. The newsletter is a brand new way to stay up to date with everything. Every Friday you'll see an email from us come through. To subscribe to that, head to the link in our show notes, sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to join. And uh, yeah, get a little bit of fun in your Friday from SportsGrad with all the latest updates. It's fantastic. And also including in that is all the new jobs that are appearing on our on our brand new job board. So it's actually packed at the moment. Uh, you know, Geelong Footy Club, the Broncos, you know, Premier Data jumped in. Um, there's just so many opportunities. So Subscribe to that newsletter and you will get it all in your inbox on a Friday. Mm. All righty, Rose, let's jump in. Grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Melissa Lawton. Before we jump into the episode, we've got a quick message from our good friends at Deakin University. Deakin has been a huge supporter of SportsGrad since day one. If you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates applying for that same role. So if you want to pump up your resume and get specialized knowledge in sports behavior, law, marketing, ethics, finance, governance, and strategy, take a look at Deakin's postgrad qualifications. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of, but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So add a postgrad to your resume, and that's our tip for the episode. Melissa, welcome to the SportsGrad podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to find out uh, that you're you're running this podcast and uh, inviting a lot of uh, Australians in sport to to speak. And I'm 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 really thrilled that I'm one of those people. Well, you're a recommendation. We put out a post on LinkedIn to say, "Hey, who would be a great guest to get on the show?" And your your name popped up. And we've never spoken to anyone in the sailing community. And so to to chat with someone at the exec level at Sailing GP is uh, uh, super exciting for us personally. But um, for those who have never heard of Sail GP or don't know what goes on at Sail GP, h- how do you describe this to your family and your friends at Christmas time when they're asking you, Melissa, what's going on in your world? Basically, it's it's um, it's motorsports on water, except it's it's powered by nature, so it's without all the nasty stuff. It's um, it's a sport that sort of, I guess you could say, was born of um, the America's Cup. Larry Ellison is is the founder, obviously, um, he, he very powerful force. When, when America won back the America's Cup, um, and Sir Russell Coots is is the CEO and like one of the greatest sailors of all time and a legendary figure, and those two came together and um, brought a, a very um, I guess elite group of of people in the events business to to run an event that brought sailing closer to the people, and I I think that's that's the real the key to sail gp is it's onshore racing which which means it's close to the shore so you can see it from land um it's very very high speeds 100 i, I think the record was you know 99.9 kilometers an hour was reached when we we're in saint tropez just recently very high tech obviously with with um oracle and the near protocol and um you know rolex behind it 
we have a lot of really high-tech equipment on board the boats. We send millions and millions of data points per second over the cloud um, to bring you augmented reality. So the course is, is laid out in augmented reality so you can see which boats are in front of and which boats are sort of catching up and which boats are taking different different courses for different reasons. Um, but I think the the really big one for us, the big USP is that sort of powered by nature. There's we're a very purpose mission org, and and I think from a you know a, a working at the company perspective, that's very important to most many many people who are there. So you know if we if we called it motorsport on water, it's probably closer to NASCAR, where it's you know everyone starts at the same time. You got to get get across that line, and then it's. It can be chaos <laughs> for the next 16 minutes or it, you know, um, or someone can get out in front and, and take the wind and, and really establish themselves. And I guess the important thing for Australians also is uh, Tom Slingsby and the Australians are on top of the ladder for the third year in a row. And um, the event's coming to Sydney this weekend. So he'll be he'll be out to, to win it again. Awesome. And what's the format of the, the comp? So there's obviously teams, like how many teams, how many races, how does it all play out? So there's nine teams. Um, teams are based on nationality. So they're, they're all, you know, there's the Australians, the Americans, um, Brits, Spanish, French. Uh, so nine teams line up. Uh, it's, it's called a fleet race. So everyone lines up together. They've got a cross. The race actually starts before the start line. So there's a start line that's sort of live. Um, all, all those boats head at a wrapping pace towards that start line. They've got to cross at exactly the right time. And that's where a lot of this data comes in. They have uh, screens on board where they can see the positioning of their boat and everyone else's boat um, and the precise second that they need to sort of cross that start line so that they don't get a foul or a penalty, as they call it in sailing. Uh, and then uh, they race um, however many legs that the course is set for. So it could be six legs, could be seven legs. Um, and, and the winning boat, you know, the boat that finishes or crosses the finish line first is, is the winner. So it's um, it's pretty simple format. And I guess it's that augmented reality race course that's placed over the, um, you know, th that gives perspective to, especially from the broadcast viewers, they can literally see um, where each boat is and the chances it will have to win to win the race. And speaking of high tech, you mentioned all the data points. Do you know how much one of these boats is worth? A lot of money. <laughs> A lot of money. <laughs> I work on the broadcast side and, you know, uh, at, at times people within the company say, what, what do you really need? And I said, closer action. <laughs> you know, every, everyone loves to see, you know, two boats come up really close. They're, they're traveling at such a fast pace. When they get close to each other, they're um, always in date. You know, there's that jeopardy. Will they crash? Won't they crash? You know, do they have the skills to get by? What's the wind doing? Um, and I know the league really doesn't want them to crash. <laughs> we had a <laughs> lightning strike on on one of the boats on the New Zealand boat um, when we're in Singapore and you know the damage that that costs you know to all the electricals in the boat is just very very expensive I heard um I heard a figure somewhere in the realm of 180 million euros thrown around is that ballpark or higher lower no that's what that's way higher than these 
these boats are all, um, I, I guess what I should have said in the beginning is that these boats are all identical. So they're, they're manufactured by Sail GP Technologies and each boat is exactly the same. So when you get to other racing series, it, it's the boat that makes the difference. Here it's the athletes who makes make the difference. So mm. uh, 180 million euros might be for the highest of high-tech America's Cup boats and, and that's like just a completely different level and that is about boat versus boat, whereas I think for Sail GP, one of the reasons why um, Larry and, and Russell came together on this topic is because they wanted it to be athlete skill versus athlete skill. So at the end of the day in Sail GP, it's the best athletes win, the best crew win. Uh, because the boats are complete. There's no advantage. There's no nation that can come in and just spend more money on their boats. Um, and that's, I think that's why it's really, really exciting uh, league. Nice. Melissa, this year on the podcast, we've got a, a brand new segment. So you're only the, the second person to, uh, to, I guess, endure this, uh, this segment, which is called Quick Fire Questions. So this is aimed at helping us get to know you that little bit better um they're not, nothing too hairy in this one so you should be just fine but uh Ruse will have the first one and then we'll, we'll fire a few questions at you all right melissa first one uh what was your first ever job my first ever paid job where i got a paycheck was waitressing nice did you go to uni and if so what did you study i studied journalism at rmit and then I, I, I mean, I had a second, I, I did a second degree years later. I did a master's in international relations at University of New South Wales. Fantastic. And favourite sporting moment? Uh, for me, the one that really, I have two, sorry. Can I do two? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go Freeman for it. winning in, at the Sydney Olympics was without a doubt, That's that was a heart-stopping moment. And, you know, I think everyone in the stadium was very, very emotional. And the other one was, it's, it's a really weird one, but it was Korea beating Italy in the in the 2002 World Cup. I was there in Korea at the time and and you could see the collective sigh of relief from an entire nation. And, and then the, the joy and the jubilance of, of that moment created this sort of, it, like, I guess nation-moving experience I would, is the only thing I would describe that as. I think they were the first Asian country to make the, yeah. the semifinals of the, the World Cup that year. So uh, a worthy favourite. Yeah, I remember that. I was in year two. Uh, what's your favourite? Favorite, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't know why I said that. Uh, what's your favourite interview question to ask candidates? Um, my favourite one is tell me a time when you failed but really learnt something mm, from nice. that failure. That would, that would test a few people. Uh, what's one book or podcast you recommend that's helped you at work? Oh, for me, it was Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. She, um, you know, I, I joined Sail GP from Meta and before I, before I joined Meta, I read Lean In and it was very impactful on, on how I approached um, my working life. Nice. Are you associated with any grassroots sporting clubs? Not at the moment. My daughters uh, have started rowing at Twickenham Rowing Club through through their school, uh, so I will get involved uh, with Twickenham. But um, in the past, I was a I was a coxswain and and rowed on the Yarra in Melbourne for many many years. 
Beautiful. I ride my bike past those people all the time now. Finally, if you had 30 minutes to pick anyone's brain, who would it be? Uh, That's a really tough one. Um, I did try and think about this when you asked. I, I, I think... I think at the moment I don't have one particular person. It it would it would probably be my probably be my boss at the moment. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I think in, in every situation, there's anyone in front of you you can get thirty minutes of good information from. So I don't have that one standout character. Who I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to speak to them and ask them X. Um, so I really I'm I'm going to give you a dead answer and say like the person who I need information from at the time. <laughs> I like that. Just, I'm sorry. Just uh, yeah. naturally curious about everyone. It's a good way to be. Yeah, I hope so. Awesome. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, Sydney Olympics and Kathy Freeman because in uh, doing some preparation for your interview, we came across the mountain of experiences that you have had in your career. So, uh, listeners, just brace yourself for this while I just run through it very quickly. <laughs> In the past, Melissa, you've been, not only have you been the Chief Content Officer at SailGP, there's Head of Production at Meta, which is Facebook slash Instagram, over in New York, Head of Live Red Bull TV over in Salzburg in Switzerland, Senior Producer at the Commonwealth Games based in New Delhi, Producer and Sports Programming Manager at the Beijing Olympics, Manager of Sports Programming and Producer at the Sydney Olympics Games. I'm guessing that's where Kathy came into it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, a lot of amazing experiences there. My husband was also competing uh, in rowing at uh, in the Sydney Olympics, so it was a big one for me. Oh, incredible. Wow. Uh, sports journalist at The Age, Melbourne's biggest newspaper, producer at V8 Supercars with Network 10, Goodwill Games 2002, FIFA World Cup and the Melbourne Cup. I think a lot of people would be happy if they worked at any one of them in their entire career, let alone all of them. Um what did you think you would be doing at you when you at this stage of your career when you left uni? <laughs> All of that. <laughs> when I was at uni, it was it was quite interesting because I was not I, I I was very heavily in the rowing community uh, in Melbourne. I rowed at school. Uh, my my boyfriend, who's now my husband, back then um, he he was rowing and going for a, an Olympics. Um, my life was very much around one particular sport, and I wasn't interested in any of the key team sports in Australia at the time. So I wasn't really into AFL, rugby or, or any of those sports. Um, and, and when I was at uni, I was very much going there to be a, a foreign correspondent. I wanted to be a, a print journal and I wanted to travel the world reporting on politics from, from all over the globe. Um, and I guess I, after uni, I did take my year-long break to you know to do the traveling that that many of us do and and go and see what what the rest of the world had to offer and while I was there um I I was had been reporting for the age on rowing as as, you know coming up to the Olympics I was like a special correspondent I would say and uh I went to Switzerland where they had a sort of qualifying regatta and and reported for Associated Press or Australian Associated Press then um, and then I went to uh, watch my now husband compete at the Atlanta Olympics, and I thought, well, the Olympics are pretty pretty special events. I was I was sort of Atlanta Olympics were a difficult one. Um, if you go back in ancient history and look at how the organising put committee put uh, Atlanta together, it was it was a really tough games to be a spectator at, or it could be a really 
great games to be a spectator at because they didn't have a, a ticket lottery. So if you found someone who had tickets, you could you could go to anything. I mean, I saw the Americans play basketball in um, which was the dream team back then. So yeah, the you know I had that I guess experience at the Atlanta Olympics. And when I came back, I um, sat for my cadetships with newspapers. And I, I think what really came home to me was I could go and do a cadetship at the, you know, Warnable Gazette or I think it was Warnable and or Wollongong or, or somewhere like that, and I would have to do sort of the three years of, you know, local news reporting, and I just had this amazing life-changing experience travelling internationally. Um, and at the same time, I, I believe it was, uh, I, I can't remember the, the person's name who put me in touch with Gary Fenton. Now, Gary Fenton is a absolute Australian broadcasting legend. Um, and he was at Channel 7 and just moved to a company called the Sydney Olympic Broadcasting Organisation. Um, and he was looking for people to fill roles. And someone, I think David Broadbent was the person. David Broadbent I'd done a lot of work experience with at school and actually coached his daughter in rowing. Uh, and he recommended me um, to Gary and Gary interviewed me, very, very tough interview, um, and then offered me the, like, the chance of a lifetime to go to Sydney and work on the Sydney Olympics. And I was one of the, I think, first 10 employees of the Sydney Olympic Broadcasting Organisation. So I got to see that whole movement from, you know, from the ground up. And it was, it was a very, very unique and special sort of experience for me. That is incredible. I, I love how doing rowing coaching led to your first experience yeah. at the Olympics, which is just amazing how those smaller clubs can lead to incredible things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's also, it's networking, isn't it? Because, you know, when you find someone that you coach or that you're, you know, you get to know through sports and, and you find out that their parents perhaps do, do you know, have a wonderful job, I think I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trawling back in my memory. I think David Broadbent was like the head of news for Channel 9 at the time. And he, uh, you know, he, he gave me a lot of opportunities to do work experience in what I thought I was going to end up in, which was, you know, being a, being a journalist or being a, a foreign correspondent and reporting on politics, which was my absolute passion. So he, uh, he took a chance on, on me as well, saying, you know, I obviously knew the business and, and was working up in that broadcasting or journalistic space. But um, having been to it, having gone to an Olympics was pretty much all the one criteria Gary Fenton thought was valuable for, for giving me a job as the manager of sports programming for, for the Sydney Olympics. Nice. Would you say Sydney was the most transformative piece of experience in your career or, or does something else stick out to you? Um, Sydney was a massive learning experience and, and learning from a perspective. It was very political, Sydney Olympics. You know, I, it was, it was, you know, I learned a lot about sort of strategic thought and, you know, politics was heavily involved in sports. So I, I really did get to understand different ways of thinking, I guess. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a, like a regular job. Um, and I was also exposed to people like, you know, Manolo Romero, who but both Gary and Manolo passed away this, these past six months. But these were just absolute legends in the industry. These were, these were people who were building legacies and, and creating differences globally. 
Um, so I think Sydney was important from a understanding stri strategy, strategic thinking. Um, but I think my most transformative would have been going to Red Bull in 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 Salzburg because Red Bull, um, you, you know, at Red Bull you sort of think differently again, and it it's a little while it is strategic, it's also a, about being disruptive and, and thinking outside the box a lot. How do they encourage that? I mean, it's it's part of the DNA. First of all, you're in a, a tiny country in the middle of Europe and you're you're listening to a lot of input from, from around the globe. So you've got, you know, I think they have 80 different head offices around the world and, and, and you start to, to learn how different countries think differently or, or do things differently in sports and, and sports that are more important in some areas than others. I already knew that from the Olympics, you know that wrestling is like massive in in sort of Iran or Turkey, but really not that important in Australia. So, um, and, and also we were building something called Red Bull TV back then. So it was like the first time, I think there are only a couple of sports or sports organisations who were looking at completely digital delivery of, of, of their content. And one of them was WWE and the other one was Red Bull. Um, Mr. Mattershits, again, passed away just recently. Uh, he he was a thinker before his time. He wanted to have a legacy of, of building a product that no one else had. Um, he wanted to, you know, Red Bull's more than just a can, I think. It's, it's, it's body, mind, you know, philosophy that you've got to be active in mentally and physically to, to move forward in life. And every sport that we were looking to program or get involved in had some sort of mental and physical aspect. It wasn't just sort of punching someone in the head and the, the one who punched harder wins. It, 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 a lot of the sports that Red Bull get involved in are, are sort of the extreme action or, I guess, strategic sports as well. So, yeah, it was – I don't know how he – I think he brings a lot of like-minded people together. And and that's, you know, in the interview process, you can see, like, can you think differently? What have you done differently? But also how do you connect that, um, you know, mental prowess with physical prowess as well? So not not that I really had the physical prowess, but I, I think I did. I definitely <laughs> brought, brought some experience to the company that they were needing um, and also had that, I guess, fluidity of thought that they, they were looking for. So you've gone from thinking that your career would start out as a uh, political correspondent in all different parts of the world to creating TV productions for for Red Bull in Switzerland. Uh, Red Bull is in Austria. I should Austria, say. sorry. sorry. <laughs> My career is similar in a way because to what I originally thought it would be, I am travelling the globe experiencing different cultures, understanding different ways of thinking. That's pretty much all I, what I wanted out of out of my original career path. I do take opportunities based on is that an interesting company? Is it an interesting place to live? Um, I don't I don't necessarily just take a job because it's offered. It's 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 the whole package um, that that brings me to the table really. Right, because I was I was going to ask like, how, how did you know that this was a right career decision for you? But it seems like you've got a framework that you've applied across your entire career, no matter where you've gone. Well, I'm a working mum, so a, a couple of things, and, and this is a really important part. We went back to Australia after we, you know, we lived in China and India, where it was 
amazing experiences for, for my husband and I. And, you know, he he was working as well at that time and, and you you had help. So you you didn't need to, you know, you you had help in the house, you know, it's, you had drivers at times, you know, and, and you were earning a pretty good pretty good wage. When I had my first child in in India and we, we went back to Australia to, to join this, you know, go back home, you know, we've had, had our fun, let, let's head back home. Um, I found heading back home very, very difficult after those experiences. And, and one of them was with both of us working, our, our kids went into like full-time child, you know, childcare. And I was pregnant with my, my second when we got back there and the childcare was outrageously expensive. And we'd had been living in France or traveling around Europe for eight months. And we just realized that Europeans had a different attitude towards childcare and it was very, very, very inexpensive. <laughs> so we we were looking up, you know, up with two kids and two adults working and, and the stress of it all. Um, we were looking to go to Europe. We, I was, you know, sometimes you manifest your, your future by, by really thinking about it and, um, when Red Bull came calling, I was like, they said, would you consider moving to Austria? And I, Absolutely. You know, I, I think I was paying per month what I was paying a week in childcare in Australia. So that's, I do think of things like when I talk about strategic thinking and then, and then moving to New York was, was another one where I go, okay, my kids are doing full-time, you know, schooling in Austria and, and learning German, but their English skills are not not that great. When when Facebook, you know, came came knocking, it was the opportunity to move to New York felt like a good family opportunity because like elementary school and that amazing American way of um, thinking positively and and thinking that you can do anything. I thought that would be great for my kids and and, and now even moving to London, it's a little bit like this is the destination where you know putting my kids through British high school system is 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 good for us it's a little bit more similar to the australian system and and they get to join a rowing club at school so that's uh that's pretty much i'd love to say every job was based on um following a sport but you can't you just don't have that privilege i guess as a, as a working mother mm. before we go back to sale gp just quickly what, what was it like working for meta uh, one of the biggest companies in the entire world based in new york Loved it. I mean, I, my first, before COVID hit, you know, had good two solid years of, of working on some amazing properties. So we, we did, uh, we worked with Major League Baseball. We worked with, you know, uh, surfing, WSL. We worked with Ironman. But then I also got like contracts that were La Liga and, and Champions League and um, spent a lot of time in, in South America working on Copa Libertadores, which is a, an amazing football league um, down there. And I guess I could say that there's been so many points in my life where I like, can't get any better than this. Like Facebook is an amazing place to work. The people you meet there and the, and the levels of conversation you have are just out of this world. But um you know, when when COVID hit and, you know, it stopped being it stopped being as glamorous for me, I guess. Um, and it, it it got very hard to to be excited about doing more football on on uh, on Zoom uh, or, or whatever it was that, that people were doing. Um, 
I, I definitely, I don't think there's a chance that I would have voluntarily left uh, Facebook or, you know, Instagram if I think COVID hadn't sort of changed my perspective a bit about what I wanted in life. And I think, I think just from what I've seen, most people had that, you know, same thought of like, what am I doing here? Is this the right place for me? Where is this going? I didn't want to work in um, tech long term, but the experience that I had there in sports tech was absolutely amazing. And, and I'm very grateful I got the opportunity. Yeah, nice. Going back to uh, Sale GP, keen to understand sort of what are your key goals as the content team? What, what are you trying to achieve? We're really trying to achieve um, more awareness for the sport. So we, we do, we, we create a lot of different types of content. We have a broadcast that we're, we're making, you know, world class. It's a, it's a very, very high quality broadcast. And um, the goal there is to get it on as many sort of, you know, free to air channels as possible globally, um, or, you know, to, to earn some money from, from sales of, of the rights. Um, the reason why I say free to air at the moment and is just we need awareness. You know, I think what we've found is when we get really good programming slots, particularly in the US, that people do see it like that motorsport on water experience. So they do watch it for a long time and they they watch it in huge numbers. So it's like one point, I think our average audience on CBS is 1.6 million per hour. So that's that's a lot of people getting exposure and they're not like sort of AFL football numbers, but they're definitely big numbers for for a sport that's in its third season. So we know what we need to do. We need to get it out on as many channels as possible. Um, socially, again, driving awareness. So our social strategy is very, very different. We're very short clips. We're very much about the jeopardy or, or creating content that sort of feels cool and in the moment. Um, and sort of extreme I guess we go a little bit more for the extreme sports aspect on, on social media and then we have a long form content called racing on the edge and racing on the edge is 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 again something that all of our broadcasters take but we're also thinking about like where does it what what's the next iteration of, of that long form series at the moment it's, it serves a purpose of educating people about what is GP from each team um we need to we need to get that out bigger and further and that's so would you say a lot more of your experiences in the the broadcast space than the social media space no i think it's i mean social media that, that was why i said red bull was a really important career step for me because social was a driving force and and something they took very very seriously and digital production is something they took very very seriously um i joined red bull just after the stratos launch so that's you know red red bull as a company went hold on why are we chasing linear broadcasting they just this huge shift to to creating their own sort of digital channel and digital sphere the social content um is something i'm really really into uh, the the linear broadcasting is very traditional i've been doing it my entire life i i can look at a, a, like a broadcast and really see how it's put together and see what it needs and see what it's it's got and what it's missing social is is a constant process of trying new things and i really like that it's it's what keeps me very you know highly motivated to see if we put out these pieces of content in this way and then put out these pieces of content in a different way which one's working or resonating with the audience 
And what we even see is like the difference between like a, a, a Instagram audience versus a TikTok audience at the moment. It's just, it's amazing how the world really has compartmentalized itself into different sports viewing habits. And again, yeah, YouTube's another one, big, big one. And we do a podcast <laughs> as well. So we love that. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we make sure that like, what does our podcast serve? It serves that audience that just wants to hear more about Sal GP. And so it's very, very intensely about the sport behind the scenes and athletes. And we keep it that way. We're not trying to broaden that audience um, or dumb it down because more people are joining that broadcast to get that inside insider edge, I guess, when they watch the next broadcast. Mm. We've certainly found whilst doing a whole lot of social stuff that things are performing differently on, on different channels. And interestingly, personally for myself, I, I went to India recently and created a 90-second reel that I thought, you know, got a bit of traction when I posted it. But three or four weeks later, some algorithm is still sending it into India. So I keep getting all these random likes from, from India. It's almost up to a 1,000, which I've never even got close to before. So it's making me feel very popular. Well, was it? Do you remember in Thorpe and big in Japan? So, you know, you just yeah. never know. If you have global settings, you never know. I mean, honest to God, that's how NBA found out they had a massive audience in the Philippines. Back in the day, I can remember they were they were they had a sending out their social content globally, and and they could just see pickup in the Philippines, and that's become a really important um, part of their business strategy. That idea mm. that there are countries out there that may not, you know, um, seem likely to have a ton of followers, and then Indonesia, Philippines, and Southeast Asia, huge NBA fans. Mm, yeah. Well, talk to us about um, some skills to to work in this space. What what do you need to be the chief content officer of Sail GP one day? Um, well, first of all, I have zero sailing background. I think I, I've done a few twilight sailing races in Sydney when I lived there, and you know, really enjoyed it. And I had the Olympics experience, so I knew about sailing and I knew new characters in sailing. But I don't have a deep, deep sports experience in sailing itself, so. You don't really, really need that to be successful. Um, I, I think what you do need is is hard skills. So um, I, again, when we, we you you were asking me before about what was pivotal, really pivotal to my career was going from the Sydney Olympics to Network Ten, because I took a f huge financial hit doing that. I, I started at the bottom at Network Ten in the sports department. Um, because I was really aware that four years on the Sydney Olympics gave me a lot of strategic skills and, you know, a lot of understanding about what the, what the wider world looked like. But unless I was going to spend um, my, the rest of my career just doing the Olympics or just doing major sporting events, I was, you know, I, I, I didn't have any hard skills there. I just had some good writing skills, some, some good understanding about sports globally, um, and, and a basic knowledge in how to put TV together. Uh, I think when I went back to, to Network 10, I got some really hard skills. You know, I, 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 was, I started off as like the, the lowest person in, in the sports department from a, from a ranking perspective and just worked my way up over three years. Um, and the people that I met there, I mean, I'm still, I'm st I still have contact with them um, because a lot of them went into global positions as well and have worked with, you know, Sam Hurd, who's at Red Bull, Scott Young, who's Warner Brother Media Discoveries, um, head of content and production. 
David White, who was Legadaire and, and based here in London. So a lot of those people and a lot of the skills that I learned there taught me about, I guess, networking is really important. Get to know people in your industry and and, and um, be in front of them where possible. But it's I, I learned how to do TV at Network 10. That's, that's basically it. And I, you really need to know television because you need to be a, a chief content officer needs to understand broadcast social, I guess, Facebook um, and and Red Bull experience of really understanding algorithms and what they do and and what content works and doesn't work. Like those hard skills are really important um, in, in this job. And it's it's not often that people say that. It's it's but mm. it's the truth. Yeah. Is that kind of saying, you know, a, a lot of people we speak to will be like, okay, I want to work for the AFL one day. And as soon as there's an opportunity at the AFL, they'll go for it. But in the meantime, while you're learning all those skills, it's it's really worth going to like say a smaller sport where you're going to be exposed to a lot of things that you might not at the AFL. You know, the, there's not as many jobs there, so you've got more responsibility. Is that kind of what happened yeah. there? You know, you're going from an Olympic Games to a, a national broadcaster. It's not small by any means, but you probably were exposed to some things as well. Yeah, you, you're definitely exposed to decision-making and, um, you know, you had to be everything, didn't you? I had to I had to work on the OBs, I had to work in the office, I had to travel, um, <clears throat> and I had to learn that I could make it in the industry because it's not easy um, to, to suddenly earn less money um, and still want to be a part of the entire industry. Uh you know, it really, it sets you on the right path. And I think from that Network 10 experience, I did get another experience to do another Olympic Games. You know, I, I got a call up um, from someone I'd worked with on the Sydney Olympics that knew that I was going through this experience and that perhaps that, you know, my long-term career wasn't going to be at, at Network 10, that I, you know, did want to move out. Um but but sometimes I look back and go, if I just stayed at Network 10, where would I be now? Like if, if I didn't make that decision to go to, to China. So in, in every case, taking that opportunity and learning something new, um, I should say uh, one of the reasons why I left 10 and went to China is because I was doing my master's at the time in international relations and I was focused on on China was one of my, my subjects um, that I had a, a big focus on and it felt important you know, I, I thought perhaps I'd get back into sports, into political journalism at that point. So, you know, it was like a, an important decision of like, do I use this opportunity to relaunch my my first love, which was sort of politics. Speaking of uh, learning and, and upskilling, we believe you're a big one for industry newsletters. And I think it's about 7.40 where you are in London at the moment. So we're probably taking up your industry newsletter time. But tell us a bit about how often you dive into these new le- newsletters and, and which ones do you subscribe to? Um, I dive into them daily. I, I think I get, <clears throat> I think I'm subscribed to four, at least four, Sportico, uh, Sports Business Journal, um, Sports Pro, and and then I there's there's a, a couple of other sort of really smaller ones, I guess. Um, but I do I read them daily because it became really important for me to understand what everyone else was doing. I don't think there's any shame in, um, you know, seeing inspiration in in other broadcasts or other social strategies. So I definitely try and keep abreast of of what's going on. 
and and I think as we, as I said at the start, you know, speaking to people and having knowledge. And Gary Fenton was was an interesting one again. As, you know, very pivotal pivotal in my career, but also you know things that he said even back in the day. He was always saying like knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, and he didn't mean like knowledge is power to go and you know crush people with. He meant the more you understand about what you're doing and, and the industry, the, the the further you'll go. You know, you'll have the sort of information that people need. And I, I also mentioned, you know, it was a tough interview because he asked me in the interview because I was, you know, going for sports programming at, at the Olympics and he said, what's the difference between Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestling? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen wrestling in my life, but I can find out for you pretty quickly. And he said, look, that's the answer I wanted. If you tried to lie to me or if you tried to sort of fluff your way through that, you would have been out. But, you know, acknowledge what you don't know and try and learn as much as you can in, in every opportunity you have. And, and, and those sports newsletters are really, really important to, you know, a lot of the now even advertised sort of jobs. These are the key jobs that are around at the moment. So, you can find who's hiring and what they're doing. Nice one. This is a bit of a, a situational one for you. Um, so say you were looking to get into social media, as plenty of people out there are. Um, you're looking to get a job right now. You're in your mid-20s. You're looking to make a bit of a career change. What are some steps you would take to, to get that first piece of paid experience? Um, I think at the moment a lot of people are looking for um, vertical video producers. We just hired one here. I'm, I think we'll be looking for another one fairly soon. People who understand the platforms is really, really important. And putting a piece of paper in and submitting it and saying, I understand social media doesn't really mean as much as proving that you've got a social channel that's that's got traction or that you can, you, like, a, like a showreel, like I need to see what you've produced or how you produce content um, to, to take you seriously. Uh, I think YouTube channels help, I podcasts help, you know, all of these things, um, again, practical experience or, or demonstrating knowledge in a practical way is, is really important, especially for me. So you reckon get out there, start editing, start practicing, create your own channel. Is there, is If you could start your own channel right now on anything that you were interested in, Melissa, what would it be? Oh, goodness would me. You, would you go back to your politics? Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> No, I, I, that's always a dangerous area. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I, I've moved with a family many, many times, and if I had the time, I'd, I'd probably start a YouTube channel or, a, or something about, um, you know, how to do these things easily. Because once you've done it once, you, you always think it's going to be easy the second time. It's never easy moving with a family. It's, it's always, you know, there's always little things. But one thing we should have done when we lived in the US, we um, so we moved to a, a suburb called Maplewood, and it's it's a beautiful town in New Jersey, thirty minutes out of out of Manhattan, and we bought an old doer upper, and my husband who um, who was waiting on a, a work visa, um, decided to start doing it himself, and we completely renovated or he I should say I did nothing he completely renovated a five-bedroom house using YouTube videos as a guide 
So I should have made something out of that. We have a lot of friends who work in TV. We're all talking about it, but we just ne- we just never got it done. But that would have been the perfect subject matter. They, are, the, I've seen a few of them. I don't know why, but I've seen people like build mini houses in the forest, and like the YouTube goes for like ten hours, and it's just a time lapse of the whole thing going up. <laughs> So imagine your five-story house. Sorry, not five-story, five-bedroom. Five, five, five yeah, five-bedroom house. That would have been quite the task. So, oh, well, that's that's pretty cool, though. Learn, learning cool, how though. to put a toilet in when you've never done one before is yeah. uh, it's always fascinating. Wow. Amazing. No, I mean, for me at the moment, what I'm really, really interested in is, you know, is is those key topics. What's really happening with the metaverse? Um I, you know, Meta just announced, and you know, I was working in this area before I left. I left Meta, and it's fascinating. And and the Quest headset is is amazing. And I know it's going to be a really big topic in the future, even if people sort of don't don't take it seriously now. It it will it will get there. It, it's it's a matter of time and patience, and and again, strategic thought. But I, the metaverse is something that's really really interesting to me, and. Um, I think the other one is is augmented reality, XR and and AI and these just intersections of uh, we're really seeing the world in a way that it's going to change forever again and this is a big pivot that's happening and and it and it's a matter of like how we adopt it to the lives we're living now more than anything and that's that's really interesting to me and probably the subject of a of a podcast if I had time or a you know a social media channel if I had time but I definitely don't have time <laughs> or so, so what you're saying is you've already got the handles locked down for a, yeah. a future date future date <laughs> no there's a lot of really intelligent people out there doing it and I, they're the ones that I'm you know watching and, and listening to amazing yeah. we've got one last question for you Melissa this has been fascinating learning about your experience but um if you could go back and place a note on the desk of a student hoping to one day reach the position that you're in right now, what piece of advice would you leave on that note? Uh, it would be, it would be something that's that's becoming, I think, a movement or a trend in advice. It would be work hard and be kind to people, and I, I think there are a couple of reasons why I say that the work hard is <clears throat> there's no way around it I mean the the competition for jobs and the and the um pressure on jobs once once you get it is is that people in this environment are expecting um pe- people to to really know what they're doing and, and and work hard so it doesn't matter if you don't know everything and it doesn't matter if you're the complete expert as long as you show the potential that you, you can get there but the be kind to people um we were talking before that uh, that it's a small small industry in sports and people you, you don't know where someone's going to end up you don't know if that production assistant or ap that was that was at network 10 is going to have you know a hiring job at red bull a hiring job at at meta and and then a hiring job at um at sale gp in london so you know, over over a certain period of time, you could be exposed to that person many, many times. If they remember you as a as a kind person or someone who who's done kind things or helped people, that is more impactful than they did their good job really, really well sometimes. Um, because we all want to work in companies where where kindness is a is a feature, I guess. And 
that's a new one that's it's really popped up and it really resonated with me when I when I heard it. Amazing. I think uh, Hamish McLaughlin had very mm. similar advice when we uh, asked him the question too. So good yep. night to end on. Yep. Uh, Rue, so we've had Melissa. What are some other episodes similar that people would enjoy? Yeah, well, we, uh, prior to recording this, um, we found out that Melissa, you and us have got a few shared contacts, one of which that uh, is in that space is uh, Finn Bradshaw. He came on the podcast in episode 50. He's the head of digital at the ICC. Uh, easy one for myself to remember if people are interested more in this space. The other one is also easy to remember because it's episode 150. And uh, that was Andrew Ryan, the uh, head of media rights at uh, FIBA. That is in Switzerland, not in Austria. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if anyone has enjoyed this chat with Melissa, then they can check out those two as well. Fantastic. Well, Melissa, we might leave it there, but thank you so much for your time today. Um, as Ruben listed off before, your experiences are just out of this world. Uh, and those listening would just literally dream to work at one of those places. So it's been amazing sort of going through your career and, and understanding a little bit about how you got there and some of the things that you've done throughout. So really appreciate your time again and um, hope London treats you well. Thank you for having me on board. Hope, hope you get to see some racing soon. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to go find some. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again. Guys, it's time now for Ask Sports Grade, where every week we answer a question from our community. If you'd like to ask a question, first become a, a Sports Grade member at www.sportsgrade.com.au slash community and then add your question to the channel named Ask Sports Grad. Now, Rubes, what have we got today? Ryan, this one says, how can I make sure that the role I'm applying for aligns to my resume and that my cover letter covers everything that is needed as well? Mm. Excellent question and important question because if your application doesn't match the job at hand, then you are no chance. Yeah. Now, uh, this might sound obvious, but so many people get it wrong. And a lot of the recruiters that we talk to will just say that, you know, literally 70% of the people who have applied don't fit the role at all. Yeah. Now, one common mistake that a lot of people make that I'm glad this person has brought up is that a lot of people will just write all about themselves, which might seem like the obvious thing to do. You're writing a resume, cover letter to sell yeah. yourself. So write about yourself, right? Well, actually, your focus should be on the job you should be writing to fill the need of the organization. Yeah. Nobody cares what you can do. Everybody cares what you can do for them. So therefore, if you are writing the same cover letter and resume time and time again, over and over and over, reproducing the same one, just saying, mm. this is me and handy into every single place, you're going to get rejected every time. I can guarantee it. So great question. How can you make sure that the role that you're applying for aligns with what's on your cover letter and your, and your resume? The first thing you're going to do is a process that I call dissecting the job description. Now, this is where you literally scan the job description to make sure that you understand the top skill priorities of the job in front of you. So that literally means like getting a pen out, getting a highlighter out and highlighting every single skill that you see on the page. Yeah. This could be communication. This could be writing. This could be editing. This could be, um, you know, analyzing data, whatever. Highlight every single one of them. Now, if you do it properly, there, there's probably going to be like 20, 25 different skills. Like a lot of these mm. job descriptions just ask the world of you. So yep. 
how do you make sure that you write one that's like tailored and aligned and specific to it? Well, you're literally going to go through and count them. Just simply count how many times each skill is mentioned. And then if you want to chuck this into Excel and sort the skills by a number of times they're mentioned, then you should be able to see which skills have been mentioned the most. Yeah. Now, you want to take the top three skills from that and focus on addressing them. You know, the resume might say you need to be proficient at Microsoft Office. Don't mention that on, you know, don't waste space on your resume or your cover letter mentioning you're proficient at Microsoft Office because that is like the baseline. I know how to use Word. (laughs) You'd be surprised how many people have that on there. And if you have that on your resume right now, take it off because you're wasting space. Get it off. Get it off. So (laughs) focus on the top three essential skills to the job. And you're going to write a cup, you're going to write a body paragraph on each one of those things and explain a situation or example of how you've done that. So that's your cover letter. Focus on the top three skills, write a paragraph on how you've done each one. Then when you get your resume, rank your experiences in order of relevancy to the skills. That way, when a hiring manager picks it up and they look at your documents, they can straight away see that you are a perfect fit for the job at hand. So if you're finding that, is not the case and your experience doesn't match up, then you know, you're probably not suited to that job. And if you're finding that you do have the experience, but what you're writing isn't aligned to it, then take the time to do it properly. Look at the job description and tailor everything. Because I can guarantee you that about nine out of 10 people need to rewrite their cover letter right now. Yeah. Um, a quick point on rewriting your cover letter. We know that it can be annoying to do it. Like mm. it's, it's a little bit time consuming. You've got to write a couple of pages or a page or whatever you want to do every time and it can be annoying. But there's so many times like we are speaking to hiring managers and they're saying, I, just, I know that they've just copied it or they've got the name wrong at the top. Mm. Like if you're just using the same cover letter, you, like it will happen. Mm. It's so noticeable. So just take the extra 15 minutes, mm. like half an hour, whatever you need to do and just make a new one. Yep. Like it is so worth it and it's very, very noticeable when you just use the same one for every job. Yeah. So. Uh, applying for jobs is a skill. It's a combination of being able to write and being able to have empathy for an organisation. If you can yep. combine the two, then you should have a good op- good, good application. Yep. Just like if you were to go to practice to be a better tennis player, you need to practice to be a better application what do you call them better at applying for jobs applier applier yeah Yeah. something like that i like it um so uh yeah if your documents aren't aligning that's where i'd start awesome well if you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question sign up to become a sports grab member each week as ruse mentioned we jump on and ask sports grad call Every Wednesday night where it's open floor for you to ask us or industry professionals any of your questions. So this Wednesday, I think we're focusing on social media, which is very exciting. Um, So jump online, become a member and you can get involved. All these sessions are recorded. So when you join, you get immediate access to over 50 hours of content, uh, which is basically like Netflix. And I mentioned that last week, but it is kind of like Netflix and Mm. Binge and Stan and all those other (laughs) streaming services. So get online uh, and and become part of it. You can find us on LinkedIn if you haven't already. Give us some love with a rating if you enjoy the show. Subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, guys. One last thing before you go. 
If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join. 